Well, hello everyone. Here we are, chapter 12, the last chapter of volume 1 in my book. Um, I was talking with one of the listeners yesterday, and they were talking about how they really liked chapter 11, because chapter 11 was the first time they really felt that they started to see Anne, you know, really come into herself as a character and not just, um you know, kind of a blank slate. Like, she thought uh, the other characters had far more characterization before now than Anne did. And Anne, you see her talking to Benick, and it, she felt that Anne was a lot more of a character that could be likable and enjoyed last chapter. And I'm really... I agree. I, it's very interesting. You, I think we really did watch Anne blossom. Um, which is an important point, because... Whom else might have seen such a similar change, I wonder? Uh, I think it was done with a very important literary purpose because when Frederick Wentworth came into Anne's life again, he saw her all drawn and removed and hardly her, a shadow of herself. Um, the Anne we saw in the first few chapters, very, very mild character. She'd lost... Even she said she'd lost a lot of her bloom and zeal and such. And now we see her talking with Benick and talking softly and enjoying herself. She said she really enjoyed the company. And that was like the first time we'd heard her enjoy herself at something. And not just doing it because it was expected or easy or polite. But she was really enjoying herself. And so it's the first time she's had a chance to do that. And I'm sure it made an impact on those who might be watching her. And we know that Frederick watches her because during the walk episode where they went on their walk and he lifted her up into the carriage, he saw her and knew she was fatigued and he was thinking of her and he wished to give her comfort even though he, you know, doesn't like her anymore or whatever. But he, um, he's still clearly paying attention to Anne even though he's giving his affections and attentions to other girls um, in a romantic way, he still can't ignore Anne. And so I'm sure he's also noticed the change in Anne since they came to Lyme. So we'll have to see how that develops. This is a long chapter. It is 97 to 110. Um, I will make one or two notes ahead of time. We've already talked about the cob and what the cob is, that it has walls, um, and so the way the cob works is you've got this like upper portion where you can walk in sort of um, a promenade um, and then there's a lower portion that's down closer to the sea. You take a flight of steps down and you walk along that as well. Um, and so today in this chapter we'll be talking about being, uh, the, I'm going to use the phrase she uses because I think it can be a little confusing if you're not got a clear mental image. Um, he jumps her across the stiles. Do you remember we, we saw that in, in, when they were walking in the, in the, I'm sorry, I'm butchering this really bad, but they were walking in the fields and you know what a farm style looks like at the wooden fence and you climb up the first post and then somebody can put their hands on their waist and whoop, lift you down. And they, Jane Austen calls it jumping down. He jumped her down. Um, and Gosh, that's always a romantic, lovely little thing to do. I've always been way too heavy to 
set to ever want anyone to try and jump down me just... Yeah, because it... No. But it's a lovely little light romantic thing to do when you're a slight slip of a girl like Louisa and Henrietta. And, and anyway. Um, so here on the cob, we've got this steep step of flights down to the lower section of the cob. And they are going to jump down the step. So she's going to get up to, you know, the fourth step, perhaps. And he's standing on the bottom, will lift her up and down off the steps. Um, which is a polite thing to do if they're a steep step and it's on a sea walk. So they might be slippery with sea breeze, if not, you know, a splash of a wave here or there. But that's what they're talking about, jumping down. So just so you have that image in your hand, head of what that looks like. Um, and I think that's going to be my only chapter note at the beginning is what jumping down might be. All right. Here we are, chapter 12. Anne and Henrietta, finding themselves the earliest of the party the next morning, agreed to stroll down to the sea before breakfast. They went to the sands to watch the flowing of the tide, which a fine southeasterly breeze was bringing in with all the grandeur which so flat ashore admitted. They praised the morning, gloried in the sea, sympathized in delight of the fresh-feeling breeze, and were silent, till Henrietta suddenly began with, Oh, yes, I'm quite convinced that with very few exceptions, the sea air always does good. There can be no doubt of its having the greatest service to Dr. Shirley after his illness last spring twelve-month. He declares himself that coming to Lyme for a month did him more good than all the medicine he took, and that being by the sea always makes him feel young again. Now I cannot help thinking it a pity that he does not live by the sea. I do think he had better leave Upper Cross entirely and fix at Lyme. Do not you, Anne? Do not you agree with me that it is the best thing he could do both for himself and Mrs. Shirley? She has cousins here, you know, and many an acquaintance, which would be make it cheerful for her. And I am sure he, she would be glad to get a place where she could have the medical attendance at hand in case of his having another seizure. Indeed, I think it quite melancholy to have such excellent people as Dr. and Mrs. Shirley, who have been doing good all their lives, wearing out the last of their days in a place like Uppercross, where, excepting for our family, they seem to shut out from all the world. I wish his friends would propose it to him. I really think they ought. And, as to procuring a dispensation, there could be no difficulty at his time of life and with his character. My only doubt is whether anything could persuade him to leave his parish. He is so very strict and scrupulous in his notions. Over-scrupulous, I must say. Do not you think, Anne? Is it being over-scrupulous? Do you think it quite a mistaken point of conscience when the clergyman sacrifices his health for the sake of his duties, which may be just as well performed by another person? And at line two, only seventeen miles off, when he could be near enough to hear if there was anything to complain of. Anne smiled more than once to herself during this speech, and entered into the subject as ready to do good by entertaining the feelings of a young lady as that of a young man, though here it was equal good of a lower standard, for what could be offered but general acquaintance. She said all that was reasonable and proper on the business, felt the claims of Dr. Shirley to repose, and, as she ought, saw how very desirable it was that he should have some active, respectable young man as a resident curate and was even more courteous enough to hint at the advantage of the resident curate's being married. 
I wish, said Henrietta, very well pleased with her companion, I wish Lady Russell lived at Uppercross and were intimate with Dr. Shirley. I have always heard of Lady Russell as a woman of the greatest influence with everybody. I always look to her as able to persuade a person to anything. I am afraid of her, as I have told you before, quite afraid of her, because she is so very clever. But I respect her amazingly. I wish we had such a neighbor at Uppercross. Anne was amused by Henrietta's manner of being graceful and amused also that the course of events and the new interest of Henrietta's view should have placed her friend at all the favor with any of the Musgrove family. She had only time, however, for a general answer, and a wish that there were another woman at Uppercross before all subjects suddenly ceased, on seeing Louisa and Captain Wentworth coming towards them. They had also come for a stroll till breakfast was likely to be ready. But Louisa, recollecting immediately afterwards that she had to procure something at a shop, invited them all to go back with her into the town. They were all at her disposal. When they came back to the steps, leading upwards from the beach, a gentleman at the same moment was preparing to come down, politely drew back, and stopped to give them way. They ascended and passed him. As they passed, Anne's face caught his eye, and he looked at her with a degree of earnest admiration. She could not be insensible of it. She was looking remarkably well, her very regular, very pretty features having the bloom and freshness of youth restored by the fine wind which had been blowing on her complexion, and the animation of eye which it always produced. It was evident that the gentleman, completely a gentleman in manner, admired her exceedingly. Captain Wentworth looked round at her instantly in such a way as showing his notice of it. He gave her a momentary glance, a glance of brightness, which seemed to say, "'That man is struck with you, and even I at this moment see something like Anne Elliot again.' After Louisa threw with her business and loitering about a little longer, they returned back to the inn, Anne passing afterwards quickly to her own chamber to their dining-room, and nearly running in again to the same gentleman, as he came out of an adjoining apartment. She had before con conjectured him to be a stranger like themselves, and determined that a well-looking groom who was strolling about the near the two inns as they came back should be his servant. Both master and man, being in mourning, assisted the idea. It was now proved that he belonged to the same inn as themselves, and the second meeting, short as it was, also proved again by the gentleman's looks that he thought hers very lovely, and by the readiness and propriety of his apologies that he was a man of exceedingly good manners." He seemed about thirty, and though not handsome, an agreeable person, and felt that she should like to know who he was. They had nearly done breakfast when the sound of a carriage, almost the first they had heard since entering Lyme, drew half the party to the window. It was a gentleman's carriage, a curricle, but only coming round from the stable yard to the front door, somebody must be going away. It was driven by a servant in mourning. The word curricle made charles musgrove jump up and he might compare it with his own and the servant in mourning roused anne's curiosity the whole six were collected to look and by the time the owner of the curricle i forgot to mute my phone the owner of the curricle was seen issuing from the door amidst the bows and civilities of the household and taking his seat drove off ah cried captain wentworth instantly with half a glance at anne it is the man we passed the Miss Musgroves agreed to it, and having all kindly watched him as far up the hill as they could, they returned to the breakfast-table. The waiter came into the room soon afterwards. "'Pray,' said Captain Wentworth immediately, 
Can you tell us the name of the gentleman who has just gone away? Yes, sir. A Mr. Elliot, a gentleman of large fortune, came in here last night from Sidmouth. I dare say you heard the carriage, sir, while you were at your dinner, and going on now for Crewkern as his way to Bath and to London. Elliot! Many looked on each other, and many had repeated the name before this all got through, even by the rapidity of the waiter. "'Bless me!' cried Mary. "'It must be our cousin! "'It must be Mr. Elliot! "'It must indeed! "'Charles, Anne, must it not? "'In mourning, just as you see, "'just as our Mr. Elliot must be, "'how very extraordinary, "'in the same very inn with us! "'Anne, must it not be our Mr. Elliot, "'my father's next heir? "'Pray, sir,' turning to the waiter, did you not hear? Did his servant say whether he belonged to the Kellich family? No, ma'am. He did not mention a particular family, but he said his master was a rich gentleman, which would be a baronet some day. There, there, you see, cried Mary in ecstasy, just as I said. Oh, my God, cats, are you serious? Just as I said, heir to Sir Walter Elliot, I was sure that it would come out if it was so. Depend upon it as a circumstance when his servants take care to publish it wherever he goes. But Anne, only conceive how extraordinary. I wished I'd looked at him more. I wish we'd been aware at the time who that was. He might have been introduced to us. What a pity we have not been introduced to each other. Do you think he had the Elliot countenance? I hardly looked at him. I was looking at the horses, but I think he had something of the Elliot countenance. I wonder the arms did not strike me. The arms, like, being the coat of arms on the carriage, not, like, his arms, like, the person's arms. Um, and I'm sorry for all the cat drama today. Apparently... There's a war happening between the two cats, and my one cat dropped a can of cat food, like, on the other cat, and th th there's much, there's much warring happening. It is, it is, yeah. Okay, the door is now shut, I think. I think I shut it all the way, so we should be fine now. Anyway, arms. That's where I was. Oh, the great coat was hanging over the panel and hid the arms. So it did, otherwise I'm sure I should have observed them, and the livery, too. If the servant had not been in mourning, one should have known him by the livery. Putting together all these very extraordinary circumstances, we must consider that the arrangement of Providence that you should not be introduced to your cousin, said Captain Wentworth. When she could command Mary's attention, Anne quietly tried to convince her that their father and Mr. Elliot had not for many years been on terms as making the power of an attempting an introduction at all desirable. This is, a, once again, um, a politeness thing. You have to be introduced to each other before you can talk to each other. Uh, the person of higher rank has to ask for the introduction... Um, or the introduction has to be arranged by another person of high rank. Um, so these ladies could not have introduced themselves to this man. He would have had to ask ladies for an introduction. He would have had to probably ask a gentleman in their party for an introduction. Um, and 
Anne is pointing out that since the two Mr. Elliot's, their dad, well, Sir Elliot, and Mr. Elliot aren't on good terms, seeking an introduction wouldn't have been the polite thing to do. So, um, it, yeah, it was just a, a politeness error. Mary's looking past it because she wants to, of course, meet the cousin, and it, it's interesting to her, and those little niceties don't necessarily matter to her when it's not about her coming and going from rooms. So, anyway. At the same time, however, it was a secret gratification to Anne to have seen her cousin and to know what the future owner of Kellich was an undoubtedly a gentleman and had the air of good sense. She would not, upon any account, mention her having met with him in the second time. Luckily, Mary did not much attend to their having passed close by him in their early walk, but she could have felt quite ill-used by Anne's actually having run in against him in the passage and received to his very polite excuses, while she had never been near him at all. No, that little cousinly interview must remain a perfect secret. <laughs> of course, you will mention our seeing Mr. Elliot the next time you write to Bath. I think my father certainly ought to hear of it, but do mention it to him. Anne avoided a direct reply, but it was just the circumstance which she considered as not merely unnecessary to be communicated, but as what ought to be suppressed. The offense which had given her father many years back she knew, Elizabeth's particular share in it she suspected, and that Mr. Elliot's idea always produced irritation in both was beyond a doubt. Mary never wrote to Bath herself all the toil of keeping a slow, unsatisfactory correspondence with Elizabeth fell on Anne. Breakfast had not long been over when they were joined by Captain and Mrs. Harville and Captain Fenwick, whom they had appointed to take to their last walk about Lyme. They ought to be setting off for Uppercross by one, and in the meanwhile were to be all out together, out of doors, as long as they could. Anne found Captain Bennett getting near her as soon as they were all fairly in the street. Their conversation the preceding evening did not disincline him from seeking her out again, and they walked out together some time, talking as before of Mr. Scott and Lord Byron, and still as unable as before, and unable as any other two readers, to think exactly in the likes of merits of either, till something occasioned which almost a general change amongst their party, and instead of Captain Bennock, she had Captain Harville by her side. "'Miss Elliot,' he said, speaking rather low, "'you have done a good deed in making that poor fellow talk so much.' I wish he could have the company oftener. It is bad for him, I know, to be shut up as he is. But what can we do? We cannot part. No, said Anne, and I believe it to be impossible. But in time, perhaps. We know what time does in every case of affliction, and you must remember, Captain Harville, that your friend may yet be called a young mourner. Only last summer, I understand. Ay, true enough. <sighs> With a deep sigh. Only June. And not known to him, perhaps, so soon. Not till the first week in August, when he came home from the Cape, just made it to the Grappler. I was at Plymouth, dreading to hear of him. He sent in letters, but the Grappler was under orders for Portsmouth. There the news must follow him. But who was to tell it? Not I. I would have soon run up to the yard arm. Nobody could do it but that good fellow, pointing to Captain Wentworth. The Laconia had come into Plymouth the week before, no danger of her being set to sea again. He stood his chance for the rest, rode up for a leave of absence, 
but without waiting for the return, traveled night and day till he got to Portsmouth, rowed off the grappler, grappler in an instant, and never left the poor fellow for a week. That's what he did, and nobody else could have saved poor James. You may think, Miss Elliot, whether he is dear to us. Anne did think on that question with perfect decision, and said as much in reply her own feelings could accomplish, or as his seemed to be able to bear, for he seemed too much affected to renew the subject, and when he spoke again it was something totally different. Mrs. Harville's giving it her opinion that her husband would quite, would have quite enough walking by the time he reached home, determined the direction of all the party was to be the last walk. They would accompany them to the door and return off to set themselves and returned to set off themselves. By all their calculations, there was just time for this. But as they drew near the cob, there was such a general wish to walk along it once more, they were also inclined, and Louisa soon grew determined, and that difference the quarter of an hour it was found would be no difference at all. So with all the kind leave-taking, and all the kind interchange of invitations and promises, which may be imagined, they parted from Captain and Mrs. Harville at their own door, and still accompanied by Captain Bennock, who seemed to cling to them to the last, proceeding to make proper adieus to the cob. Anne found Captain Bennock's drawing again near her. Lord Byron's dark blue seas could not fail to bring brought forward to their present view, and she was gladly able to give him all her attention as long as the attention was possible. It was soon to draw per, per force another way. There was too much wind to take the high part of the new cob the high part of the new cob pleasant for the ladies, and they agreed to get down the steps to the lower, and they were all contented to pass quietly and carefully down the steep flight, excepting Louisa. She must be jumped down them by Captain Wentworth. In all their walks he had to jump her from the stiles, a sensation that was delightful to her. The hardness of the pavement for her feet made him less willing upon the present occasion. He did it, however, she was safely down, and instantly, to show her enjoyment, she ran up the steps to be jumped down again. He advised her against it, though thought the jar too great, but no, he reasoned and talked in vain. She smiled and said, I am determined, I will. He put out his hands. She was too precipitate by half a second, and she fell onto the pavement of the lower cob and was taken up lifeless. There was no wound, no blood, no visible bruise, but her eyes were closed, and she breathed not, her face like death, the horror of what of that moment to all who stood around. Captain Wentworth, who had caught her up, knelt with her in his arms, looking on her face with a face as pallid as hers, in the agony of silence. She is dead! She is dead! screamed Mary, catching hold of her husband and continuing with his own horror to make him immovable in another moment. Henrietta was sinking under conviction lost her senses too, and would have fallen on the steps but for Captain Bennock and Anne, who caught and supported her between them. Is there no one to help me? These are the first words which burst from Captain Wentworth in a tone of despair, as if all his own strength were gone. "'Go to him, go to him!' cried Anne. "'For heaven's sake, go to him. "'I can support her by myself. "'Leave me and go to him. "'Rub her hands, rub her temples. "'Here are salts. "'Take them, take them.'" By salts, she means smelling salts. Um, 
And I assume you know, but I'll just mention, it sounds like Louisa didn't just run up a few steps like she had supposed to have been doing, but she ran up the whole step and then expected him to catch her, like, out of midair, which is not a very nice thing to do if you are not, you know, prepared for it. I'm sure our ballerina friend listening could tell us all about the mistakes of jumping when people aren't ready to catch you. Anyway, we're going to move on. Captain Bennock obeyed, and Charles, at the same moment, disengaged himself from his wife. They were both to him, and Louisa was raised up and supported more firmly between them. And everything was done that Anne had prompted, but in vain, while Captain Wentworth, staggering against the wall for his support, exclaimed in the bitterest agony, "'Oh, God! Her father and mother! A surgeon!' said Anne." He caught the word. It seemed to rouse him at once, and saying only, True, true, a surgeon this instant, was darting away when Anne eagerly suggested, Captain Bennock, would it not be better for Captain Bennock? He knows where a surgeon is to be found. Everyone capable of thinking it felt the advantage of the idea, and in a moment, it was all done in rapid moments, Captain Bennock had resigned the poor corpse-like figure entirely to the brother's care, and was off for town with the utmost rapidity. As the wretched party, as to the wretched party left behind, it could scarcely be said the which of the three who were the most completely rational, which was suffering the most, Captain Wentworth, Anne, or Charles, who really felt a very affectionate brother, hung over Louisa with sobs of grief and could only turn his eyes from one sister to see the other in a state as insensible or to witness the hysterical agitations of his wife, calling on him for help which he could not give. Anne attended to all with strength and zeal and thought which instinct supplied. To Henrietta still tried at intervals to suggest comforting the others, tried to quiet Mary, to animate Charles, to assuage the feelings of Captain Wentworth. Both seemed to look to her for directions. "'Anne! Anne!' cried Charles. "'What is to be done next? What in heaven's name is to be done next?' Captain Wentworth's eyes also turned to her. Had she not better be carried to the inn? Yes, I'm sure. Carry her gently to the inn. Yes, yes, to the inn, repeated Captain Wentworth, comparatively collected and eager to do something. I will carry her to the inn myself. Musgrove, take care of the others. By this time, the report of the accident had spread among many of the workmen and boatmen about the cob, and many were collected to be near them, to be useful if wanted, at any rate, to enjoy the sight of a dead young lady, nay, two dead young ladies, for it proved twice as fine to the first report. To some of the best-looking, these gave good people of Henrietta was consigned for. Though partially revived, she was quite helpless, and in this manner, Anne walking by her side, and Charles attending to his wife, they set forward, treading back with feelings so unutterable, the ground which so lately, so very lately, and so light of heart they had passed along. They were not off the cob before the Harvilles met them. Captain Bennock had been seen flying to, by their house, and with a countenance which showed something to be wrong, they had set off immediately, informed and directed as they passed towards the spot. Shocked as Captain Harville was, he brought senses and nerves that could instantly be useful, and a look between him and his wife decided what must be done. She had taken she must be taken to their house. All must go to their house and wait the surgeon's arrival there. They would not listen to scruples. He was to be obeyed. They were all to be beneath his roof. 
and while Louisa, under Mrs. Harville's direction, was conveyed up the stairs and given possession of her own bed, assistance, cordials, and restoratives were supplied to her husband by all who needed them. Louisa had once opened her eyes, but soon closed them again without apparent consciousness. This had been a proof of life, however, of of service to her sister, and Henrietta, though perfectly incapable of being in the same room with Louisa, was kept by the agitation by, of hope and fear a return for her own insensibility. Mary, too, was growing calmer. The surgeon was with them almost before it had seemed possible. They were sick with the horror while he examined, but he was not hopeless. The head had received a severe contusion, but he had seen greater injuries from than this recovered from. He was by no means hopeless. He spoke cheerfully. That he did not regard it as a desperate case, that he did not say a few hours must end it, was the first felt beyond hope of the most and the ex ecstasy of a reprieve, the rejoicing deep and silent. After a few fervent ejaculations to the gratitude of heaven had been offered, many may be conceived. The tone, the look, the wit, thank god was uttered by captain wentworth and was sure could never be forgotten by her nor the sight of him afterwards as he sat near a table leaning over it with folded arms a face concealed as if overpowered by the various feelings of his soul trying to be in prayer and reflection to be calm louise's limbs had escaped there was no injury but to the head it was it now became necessary for the party to consider what was best to be done as to their general situation they were now able to speak to each other and consult that louisa must mean where she was however distressing to her friends to be involving the harvilles in such trouble did not admit a doubt her removal was impossible the harvilles silenced all scruples and as much as they could all gratitude they had looked forward and arranged everything before the others began to reflect Captain Bennock must give up his room to them, and get a bed elsewhere, and the whole was settled. They were only concerned that the house could accommodate no more, and yet perhaps by putting the children away in the maid's room, or swinging a cot somewhere, they could hardly bear to think of not finding room for two or three besides, supposing they might wish to stay, though with regard to any attendance on Miss Musgrove, there need not be the least uneasiness for her leaving, for leaving her in Mrs. Harville's care entirely." Mrs. Harville was a very experienced nurse and nursery maid, lived with her, and they were gone with her everywhere, just as such another. Between these two, she could not want possible attendance day or night. But all this was said with the truth and sincerity of a feeling irresistible. Charles and Henrietta and Captain Wentworth were the three in consultation, and for a little while it was only an interchange of perplexity and terror. Uppercross. The necessity of someone's going to Uppercross. The news to be conveyed. How it could be broken to Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove. On the lateness of the morning, an hour which had gone since since they should have been off, and the impossibility of being in tolerable time. At first they were capable of nothing more than purpose, more to the purpose than such exclamations. But after a while, Captain Wentworth, exerting himself, said, We must be decided. Without the loss of another minute, every minute is valuable some must resolve on being off for uppercross immediately musgrove either you or i must go charles agreed but his declaration but declared his resolution of not going away he would be as little as an encumbrance as possible to the captain and mrs harville but as to leaving his sister in such a state he neither ought nor would 
so far it was decided and henrietta at first declared the same she however was soon persuaded to think differently the unusefulness of her staying she who had not been able to remain in louisa's room or to look at her without sufferings that made her worse than helpless she was forced to acknowledge that she could do no good yet still unwilling to be away till touched by the thought of her father and mother she gave it up she consented she was anxious to be home the plan had reached this point when anne coming quietly down from louisa's room could not but hear what followed for the parlor door was open then it is settled musgrove cried captain wentworth that you stay i take care of your sister home but as to the rest as to the other if one stays to assess assist mrs harville i think it need only be one mrs charles musgrove will of course wish to get back to her children but if anne will stay no one so proper so capable as anne she paused a moment to recover from the emotion of hearing herself spoken of the other two warmly agreed what he said and then she appeared you will stay i am sure you will stay and nurse her cried he turning to her again and speaking to her with a glow and yet a gentleness which seemed almost restoring the past she coloured deeply and he recollected himself moving away she expressed herself most willing and ready and happy to remain this is what she had been thinking of and wishing to be allowed to do a bed on the floor of louisa's room would be sufficient for her if mrs harville but would think so one thing more it and all seemed arranged though it was rather undesirable that mr and mrs musgrove should be previously alarmed by some share of delay yet by the time the required yet by the time required yet the time required by the upper cross horses to get them back would be a great a dreadful extension of suspense and captain wentworth proposed and charles musgrove agreed that it would be much better for him to take a chase from the inn and leave mr musgrove's carriage and horses to be sent home the next morning early when there would be the further advantage of sending an account of louise's night captain wentworth now hurried off to get everything ready on his part and soon followed by the two ladies um the chase from the inn would just be faster it carriages were all built um differently so like a curricle could go faster than different type like a, a barouche box um so like there are different types of carriages they all move faster um and then how many horses you had also determined how fast you could go um so that's what they're talking about that's why he decides to hire a chase carriage um because it will be faster than the old probably um old-fashioned carriage that mr musgrove would have um so that's that's that point when the plan became known to mary however there was an end to all peace in it she was so wretched and so vehement complained so much of the injustice in being expected to go away instead of anne anne who was nothing to louisa while she was her sister and had the best right to stay in henrietta's stead why was she not to be as useful as anne and to go home without charles too without her husband no it was too unkind and in short she said more than her husband could long withstand and as none of the others could oppose when he gave way there was no help for it the change of mary for anne was inevitable anne had never submitted more reluctantly to the jealousies and ill-judging claims of mary but so it must be they set off for the town charles taking care of his sister captain bennick attending to her 
She gave a moment's recollection as they hurried along to the little circumstances which the same spots had witnessed earlier in the morning. The here she had listened to Henrietta's schemes for Dr. Shirley leaving Uppercross. Further on, she had first seen Mr. Elliot. A moment seemed all that now could give to anyone but Louisa, or those who were wrapped up in her welfare. Captain Bennet was most considerably attentive to her, and united as they all seemed by the dis distress of the day, she felt an increasing goodwill degree of goodwill towards him, and a pleasure even in thinking that it might, perhaps, be the occasion of their continuing their acquaintance. Captain Wentworth was on watch for them, a chase and four waiting, stationed at the convenience of the lowest part of the street, but his evident surprise and vexation at the substitution of one sister for the other, the change of his countenance and astonishment, the expressions beginning and suppressed, which Charles was to listen to, but made a mortifying reception of Anne, or could at least convince her that she was only valued as she could be useful to Louisa. She endeavored to be composed and to be just. Without emulating the feelings of an Emma towards her Henry, she would have attended on Louisa with a zeal among the common claims of regard for his sake, and he, she hoped he would not be, long be so unjust as to suppose she would unnecessarily shrink from the office of a friend. In the meanwhile, she was in the carriage. He handed them both in and placed himself between them, and in this manner, under these circumstances, full of astonishment and emotion to Anne, she quitted Lyme. How long the stage would pass, how it was to affect their manners, and what sort of intercourse she could not foresee. It was quite natural, however. He was devoted to Henrietta, always turning towards her, and when he spoke at all, always in a view supporting her hopes and raising her spirits. In general, his voice and manner were studiously calm. To spare Henrietta from agitation seemed the governing principle. Once only, when she had been grieving over the last ill-judged, ill-fated walk on the cob, bitterly lamenting that it had ever been thought of, he burst forth as if wholly overcome. "'Don't talk of it! Don't talk of it!' he cried. "'Oh, God, that I had not given her to weigh that fatal moment!' Had I done as I ought, but so eager and so resolute, dear sweet Louisa. Anne wondered whether it ever occurred to him now to question the justness of his own previous opinion as to the universal felicity and advantage of firmness of character, and whether it might not strike him that, like all other qualities of the mind, it should have its proportions and limits. She thought it could scarcely escape him to feel that a persuadable temper might sometimes be in as much favor of happiness as a very resolute character. They got on fast, and was astonished to recognize the same hills and same objects so soon, their actual speed heightened by some dread of the collision conclusion made the road appear but half as long as the day before. It was going quite dark, however, before they were in the neighborhood of Uppercross. There had been total silence amongst them for some time, Henrietta leaning back in the corner, the shawl over her face, giving the hope of her having cried herself to sleep. When, up, when they were going up their last hill, Anne found herself at once addressed, addressed by Captain Wentworth. In a low, cautious voice, he said, "'I have been considering what we had best do. She must not appear at first. They could not stand it. I have been thinking whether you had not better remain in the carriage with her while I go in and break it to Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove.' "'Do you think this is a good plan?' She did. He was satisfied and said no more, but the remembrance of the appeal remained a pleasure to her. As a proof of friendship and a deference to her judgment, a great pleasure, and when it became a sort of parting proof, its value did not lessen. 
When the distressing communication at Upper Cross was over, he had seen father and mother quite composed as could be, and the daughter all the better for being with them. He announced his intention of returning in the same carriage to Lyme, and when the horses were baited, he was off. End chapter 12 and volume 1. Like I said, that was a big chapter. Um, whew, I'm sorry if my reading got a little off as I was trying to... I got all excited when she fell, and I think I got a little more sloppy with my reading than usual. Um, hope it was still good for everyone. Yeah, what, what a thing to have happened, you know? And we are already talked about, like... Um, when little Charles had his dislocated shoulder or collarbone, rather, um, you never know with medical things back in the day. It was it was always really, really scary. And I'm sure, you know, her laying there lifeless would have been just like ridiculously terrifying. Um, but, you know, it was it was Anne. It was Anne who she could manage everything. She she knew how to handle it. She was the first to be able to recover and to say, okay, you do this. No, don't you run off and find the surgeon. You've never lived in this town. You don't know anything about this town. Send the man who lives here. You know, Anne was able to direct things. And people just, I think in a crisis, the first person to speak up and speak strongly is often the person that everyone else looks to and they're like, okay, you give me a direction because you seem to have good ideas and I'm freaked out. And so everyone's looking to her and she didn't seem... You know, sometimes when suddenly everyone looks to you for direction, your mind goes blank and you're like, uh, yeah, the thing. Let's do a thing. Uh, but Anne was just like, nope, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And I think that was, uh, it showed that Anne has a, we, we knew all along that Anne had a really um, good sense of judgment. Um, but in a time of a crisis, she also apparently has a really um, sense of authority that others really respected. And I think, um, everyone really felt it really well there. And she, she really helped the situation a lot. Um, because everyone was just so panicked when it first happened. Even the two, you know, experienced sailors who probably have been in, you know, they've been in war for God's sake. And yet this thing happens and they are like, yeah, so out of the element of, okay, war is one thing, but this was a walk with some lady friends and, you know, but even they, like, in the moment of crisis were like, uh, what do I do? And it was Anne who was able to direct everyone. And so I think Anne had a really great, and strongness, and everyone saw it. Um, I think Wentworth especially saw it, because we hear him then say, there's no one so capable as Anne of looking after Louisa. Because um, he definitely knows that and not only, I'm sure he would have felt that way beforehand, but especially considering Anne's actions on the pier there. Um, so that was a big moment for them. And let us not forget, earlier in that chapter, because it was such an intense chapter, she apparently was looking rather cute. And she has had a good hair day, um, which not, you know, I guess not. She was having a good skin day, I guess. <laughs> a good eye day. Um, because she got checked out by her cousin, which was a good thing. That's not a creepy thing. That's a good thing. Um, and that, and Wentworth is like, 
dude be checking out my old girlfriend and he then had to check out his old girlfriend and so i thought that was pretty funny um and definitely showed that Anne is definitely and he even said it, she looked like Anne. she would became more Anne when they came to the sea um so yeah much much goings on Anne is finally her own character and everything is finally looking up and then of course the two are now parted because She's going to go back home. He's going to go back to Louisa. And then she's going to have to leave with Lady Russell to go to Bath. And that will theoretically be the end of their acquaintance. So, oh no, what will happen next? Um, one other note I wanted to make about this is, you know, like Mary's jealousy here. Like, ugh. Ugh. Like, I I am a jealous person. I, like, it is just, it definitely. I am a jealous type I constantly have to remind myself to not be jealous, basically. Um, it, I, It's a horrible character. I really advise people to not be jealous people. If they have any control over it, I don't. But if they have any control over it, they should just not be jealous because I'm a jealous person and it is hard. And that would be my reaction too. I think that would be like my first reaction would be like, what? Why are you saying I can't help? I can stay and be helpful. Look at me be helpful. Hello, I am so helpful. Um, I like to think that would be my first reaction and then I'd pull it in and be like, okay, Elizabeth, calm down. We're gonna just, yeah, no, we'll let my sister do the thing because she's clearly better at it and I will go be helpful somewhere else. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Mary's jealousy here really shot them all in the foot because Anne could have been really helpful to Louisa and... Um, Wentworth asking for Anne's opinion. There was just so much that happened here. There's so much to unpack. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about all the chapter. What about you guys? What do you think? What was the big moment for you in this um, chapter? What do you think is going to come next? How are you looking forward to the future? Wentworth seems like he really does regret. Um, but he also seems kind of like a man in love. You know, the, the girl he loved, like suddenly was laying dead in his arms. So that was kind of, that was kind of sad because we're like, don't fall in love with Louisa. No. Um, <laughs> but and then I liked Anne's little mental note of see, see, being a strong, forceful character isn't always so good. Sometimes you have to be a little more mild. Sometimes you have to be a little persuadable. You have to have a good judgment. You don't want to be too much of any one thing. Um, I liked Anne's little note of that. And I'm sure he's feeling that because. He definitely put Louisa up to being more bold when he told her that, you know, yours is a character of decision and firmness and I admire it. Like Louisa definitely took that to heart. She was the one who was like, we're going to go to Lyme. And the parents were like, no, we're going to Lyme this summer. It'll be fine. And Louisa's like, no, we're going to Lyme tomorrow. Like she's definitely enjoying being more forceful, I think, because of his encouragement and so I'm thinking he feels pretty damn guilty and that's too bad. I don't want him to have to feel guilty about it. But anyway, I'm going to stop now because that was just a really big chapter. Let it sink in a little. And we'll tomorrow's chapter seems about normal length and we'll start volume two and we'll find out what we're going to do now that our two main characters are separated. So until tomorrow. <laughs>